0: This is a Leaders In podcast. Leaders In brings wisdom and inspiration from the world's most admired leaders in video, podcast, and live event formats. Visit leadersin.com for more.
1: This week, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation Director, Tony Hoover, tells Leaders In how from millionaires to the everyday giver, we can all do philanthropy. She then reveals the crucial reason why workplace diversity can exist without true innovation.
0: Leaders In is live at Boston Biotech, and I am absolutely delighted and honored to have the legendary Tony Hoover with us today. (laughs) Tony, welcome.
1: Thank you, it's my pleasure, Anthony.
0: Honored, thank you so much for spending some time with us. Today in this interview, uh, I'd love to go through some of your experience at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, your time uh, you know, at Pfizer, innovation, leadership, gender, a lot of things to discuss. But maybe first of all, we can just start with the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Um, it says on the website that Sue Desmond-Helman, the CEO, mm-hmm. as you know, I don't need to tell you that, um, of the foundation, recently wrote a letter that says, there's one question that unites those of us who work at the mm-hmm. Gates Foundation, and that is, what if? Mm. What does what she mean by that?
1: Yeah, so at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, we firmly believe that all lives have equal value. So what if we actually acted like that in, in the world? What if what determined your, who you are didn't depend upon where you were born? Mm-hmm. Um, what if we could bring forward uh, and apply all of what we've learned uh, about health, uh, preventing diseases, um, living healthy lives, uh, in uh, the best of what we know from high inco- in high-income countries, and be able to apply all of that technology, that out- those outcomes to? those who are living in the poorest of the poor conditions around the world. What if you could eradicate polio completely off of the face of this earth? What if you could eradicate malaria? What if you can uh, stop and really have an impact on all of those illnesses that uh, hold communities down? from being as pro- prosperous as they could be? What if you can empower women and girls to be all that they could be and really uplift their communities? That's what we think about every day at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Yeah,
0: that's beautiful, it's, mm-hmm. that's, that's amazing. Um, it's a powerful question, mm-hmm. clearly a powerful question. And you mentioned there a lot of uh, very, very good uh objectives or missions or purposes, I suppose, but how, mm-hmm. when you are in a very privileged position mm-hmm. with quite a lot of cash behind mm-hmm. uh, the foundation, do you decide yeah. to put those investments? I mean, right. what, what, how do you decide between this cause being yeah. more important than others, for example?
1: Yeah. Well there are so many important causes and I have to admit I feel privileged every day to get up uh, and go to work at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, uh, and I believe all of my fellow colleagues uh, feel that way. Um, One of the things that we do in the Global Health Division, that's the division that I'm in, um, is really start with an understanding of where does the greatest disease burden exist. Um, So we have been working with one of our partners for many years, the Institute of Health Metrics and Evaluation, who completes uh, and and compiles data that gives the world a sense of um, the global burden of disease, and we're now able to do that on an annual basis. But all of our strategies start from an understanding of the disease burden. And then we build strategies around Uh, ways that one could impact that burden. So for example, in um, the situation with tuberculosis, uh, we'll use that as an example. Um, What's the burden of disease in tuberculosis? We have a sense that um, it it, uh, is increasing um, increasingly having an impact around in many of the poorest of the poor nations, mm-hmm. but also expanding um, into Eastern Europe um, much more dramatically, and in Southeast Asia, as well as in um, areas that uh, where it coexists with HIV/AIDS mm-hmm. in sub-Saharan Africa, specifically in South Africa. Now, you, one can go about t- trying to tackle. That illness in a number of different ways. Firstly, you can deliver the the uh, available treatments. Uh, try to deliver those in a much more effective way. Um, make sure that you're. Uh, using the diagnostics that exist even though they may need to be improved Um, you can um, utilize the available treatments the ones that um, although they the ones that exist although we recognize they need to be improved but trying to deliver those in a much more effective way and really targeting those um, people who have the disease uh, to try to reduce transmission you could also um, try to in, improve healthcare systems so that the healthcare systems can better treat those pa- those uh, people with with um, uh, tuberculosis. You could also look to try to develop new interventions, new tools, um, shorter-acting um, drug reg- universal drug regimens, um, coming up with a, a vaccine. Each of those those uh, approaches um, are opportunities to make an investment, and you can pull those levers uh, in a number of different ways. So what we then do is determine what's the most cost-effective approach to deliver the greatest impact, and once we make those types of decisions, all based on data, we then work to, with our partners, on executing um, those plans and supporting with the investments in those partners, whether it's product development, um, delivery partners, uh, w- making those investments so that they can execute those plans to try to deliver the um, impact and reduce the number of people who are being infected with mm. with um, uh, tuberculosis, who live with tuberculosis, and also who die from yeah. tuberculosis.
0: Yeah. It's it's fascinating. What, what do you think, uh, Tony, about some of those high-profile entrepreneurs that are mm-hmm. talking about giving broadband uh, through satellite uh, access to uh, you know sub-Saharan Africa? I mean, is that mm-hmm. where the money should be spent, or is it more on the ground at the level that you guys <laughs> are at?
1: Well, I mean. Needless to say, I'm not in a position to tell people um, uh, how to spend their dollars. I think it's important um, that we have more individuals who are um, well-to-do, who are, are willing to be philanthropic yeah. uh, and who want to be able to do good. Yeah. Um, there are a number of different ways that that can happen. Um, yeah. We've made some decisions about how we want to um, uh, help the world become a better place yeah. and uh, be much more equi- equitable. Yeah. Um, there are others who, as you say, um, want to increase equity by increasing The their ability to be part of the world through um, the internet and broadband. I think Mm. you don't. It's not an either or. It's an and. Okay, that's good. Uh, It's an and because bringing that type of capabilities um, to to the poorest of the poor, to the communities where they do not have um, access to broadband um, services will allow open up more opportunities um, even in the space that we're working in Um, we're working in our financial services of the poor around mobile applications that will enable um, individuals in remote areas and particularly women to do banking love it and make make investments
0: love it so as you said, it's a, it's it's an and it's building mm-hmm. on. And I suppose uh, companies like Facebook, for example, they increasingly create groups, user groups of mm-hmm. the same who've yep. got the same diagnosis, and they go and they support each other. So exactly. I see exactly what you mean. Tony, um, what? You mentioned there about encouraging people to be more philanthropic. I'd love to get your advice at two levels. Number one, what would be your advice to somebody who is now worth tens or hundreds (laughs) of millions? Um, Should they set up a foundation? How can they practically Mm -hmm. practically be more philanthropic? Is it just making a donation to uh, to the Bill and Melinda Gates? What can they do? And secondly, for the people that are on normal salary, um, is there anything that they can do to be more philanthropic if they're Mm -hmm. struggling to make ends meet themselves.
1: Yeah. So for each of those extremes, (laughs) I think the important thing, this is the way I I think about it, is to know what you're passionate about and understand that regardless of what approach you might take, that you can make a difference and be focusing on um, the ability to have an impact. We've had, and I've, I've been able to um, sit in on a couple of conversations with um, uh, individuals and, and their surrogates who want to be more philanthropic, um, high net worth individuals. And I think the first step would be to sit, step back, and do some learning, yeah. learn from others. Um, who've been in the philanthropic space. Um, learn what's worked well, what hasn't worked well, um, it, what um, are any regrets that individuals have made, uh, and but continue to focus on how what they're passionate about and how they might be able to deliver impact, mm. and to continue to think about those what-if questions. What if um, their contributions can change the world in one way? Yeah. Now, for normal folks like me, um, I, I think it's so easy to be able to give back to society. Um, I started very young um, with March of Dime drives um, in school. Child, grade school children can have an impact. Um, you can then move on to making um, contributions of your time, um, in volunteering. You see so many more younger people um, who are focused on um, social impact and volunteering and I'm uh, so enamored by the work that is being done uh, by the Global Citizens Organization where you um, can do well by doing good deeds. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so wherever you are in society, whatever your station is, you can do well and do good deeds um, with whatever you can contribute, whether that is your time, your knowledge, Um, or your uh, discretionary resources.
0: Great, that's brilliant. So it's not just about checkbook philanthropy, it's giving time as well. Exactly, exactly. That's a phenomenal point. Don't miss Leaders In live events where you can join us interviewing some of the world's most admired leaders. Visit leadersin.com to find an event near you. You mentioned just before, Tony, that, um, you know, whether you're a super wealthy, high net worth individual, or just somebody on a normal salary, focus on the passion. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you passionate about? Yeah. What are the causes that you're passionate about?
1: Well, um, I grew up in, in New Orleans and my father, was a United Methodist minister and he was in the school system. He was a teacher that rose up into administration of a high school in New Orleans. So I've always, um, and my mother was um, also in the school system working with young children in pre-K as well as elementary school. Um, So I've always been in um, a home where uh, we thought about others and doing well for others. So that has driven me um, through throughout my life and wanting to be able to give back and uh, I was able to do that for 25 years being part of um, the pharmaceutical research and development um, industry um, in researching, developing new, potential new treatments for Alzheimer's disease, um, a devastating illness. I was part of the team that um, brought the first um, treatment for the signs and symptoms of Alzheimer's disease to market globally. Um, And then having the opportunity to lead um, the product development of um, another agent for um, some um, devastating illnesses uh, for neuropathic pain uh, uh, for seizure disorders mm-hmm. um, Lyrica which is um, on the market right now and, mm-hmm. uh, and, and helping millions of people so mm-hmm. I've always had this desire to be able to give back where um, I could ha- work in a team that was working for a common mission and common purpose of helping people live healthier lives So it's a privilege uh, to be part of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, where we are working to um, eradicate polio. My father had polio as a child. And when I was um, um, thinking about joining the Gates Foundation, I thought about him and what my aunts used to tell me about how difficult it was for him as a child when he had to stay inside, when he was ill, Mm -hmm. um, how it affected his childhood. And to think that um, back in 2011, um, India became polio um, free and that we only have a couple of uh, places, tough places in the world where polio still exists, um, I'm confident that within um, a, a very short while, we'll be able to declare that that yet another devastating illness uh, yeah. virus has been eradicated off the face of this earth. Yeah. So being able to bring um, what I was able to, to um, learn, um, over the 25 years of working in a great company like Pfizer, being able to take that those learnings and being able to apply it um, for the sake of um, the global health issues that we're tackling um, is is uh, something that uh, is extremely gratifying and continues to drive me each and every day.
0: No, it's beautiful. It's so wonderful. If you want to give back, you can't get much better than being in, exactly. in that foundation. Um, by the way, do you hang out? Do you, do you see Bill and Melinda a lot? And do you, are they hanging out at the office once in a while?
1: I wouldn't say I hang out with Bill and Melinda, um, but they are very accessible, and I'm often in meetings with them. Um, we have... Um, uh, they are very much hands-on as we are making very, very important strategic decisions. Yeah. They are very concerned about... Um, how the foundation is run, how um, uh, the, the colleagues within the foundation, um, what the culture is in, in our foundation. Um, and they are um, a, a learning couple mm-hmm. and they embed that throughout our organization that we want to learn and continue to learn so that we know Um, and continue to grow in different directions. We are a very data-oriented organization um, and they continue to test us and remind us uh, and help us uh, discern how we make decisions based on data. So they're they're quite visible, but I'm I would not say mm. that I hang out with <laughs> Bill and Melinda.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. I met somebody that once who he said he'd been to Harvard University but he'd only been to have a look around. Isn't so, <laughs> um Tony, what would you um say I mean, before we uh, this before this program, we were talking about some of the things you're passionate about as well, being um, mm-hmm. making sure that women have the equal an equal place mm-hmm. in all um, uh, areas of society. And it mm-hmm. drives me nuts that there that this is even still an issue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, It really does. I and mean, yeah. I've got a, a daughter and a son, yeah. and I just you know want this issue to go away. Yeah. Um, but but what's your thoughts on, on yeah. that? How is it being improved? What advice would you give to a young woman?
1: So I, I uh, participated in a panel discussion last evening, um, a panel on women in leadership in the life sciences, and where we focus particularly on some of the obstacles still facing women in life sciences. Um, so I just want to spend a, a sure. moment talking about that. Um, I think that there are many opportunities to accelerate uh, the, the um, remarkable talent in life sciences across a number of different industries within life sciences um, in a, a much better way. One of the things that I learned from my experience um, is that is the importance of sponsorship of having um, key leaders in, the org- in an organization who will um, use their own personal um, capital to help advance um, the advance others mm-hmm. in an organization um, that the, that's definitely being done um, with men it's being done the, the data show the research show that it's being done to a lesser degree with women right. Spon- mentorship is important but it's not sponsorship I know from my own personal experience um, that I would not have been uh, been able to rise to where I was um, in Pfizer without having sponsorship from key senior leaders in my organization. Okay. Um, I tried to do that uh, in my organization. Oh, um, you know, sponsorship. Is, um, it, mentorship is you, you are working with someone who ha- is sharing their experiences um, and giving you advice. Um, but they may not be able to help you get that next position. Right. Sponsorship is individuals who are key decision makers, movers and shakers in an organization who can actually make it happen for um, a person. They are in the rooms when you're ha- when um, people's names are coming up for potential jobs. Um, they are in the rooms when senior leaders are talking about secession plans and they can bring forward the name of someone that they know and they feel confident about and they are willing to put their necks out on the line mm-hmm. to help get that person in that position. Yeah. So that's what the difference between mm-hmm. mentorship and sponsorship. Um, the other thing is um, that can help accelerate women, Um, in life sciences is um, uh, to be able to help them deal with some uh, critical periods in their time, uh, particularly for women who want to start families. The research demonstrates that you start to see women leave um, life sciences uh, uh, positions um, because of Intense environments, and because they want to start these fam the families. Mm. One of the things that we're doing at the that we've done at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is um, implement a benefit for all colleagues, uh, men and women, um, around parental leave, whereby um, you get 52 weeks of paid leave um, when you bring a, a child into this world, or if you adopt a child and you're guaranteed the same salary when you come back after a year, and a role at the same level, as well as um, uh, during that period, we work with the individuals to help make their transition easier. It's important that that we think about those on-ramps for, for um, um, colleagues who are taking this time off. So being able to potentially close those gaps, keep more women in, Um, the sciences and uh, allow them to have both their families and be able to take the time that they need to ensure that they're starting their children off on the right footing um, Mm. is is critically important. And Mm. uh, much more broadly, um, we work on, um, we're very committed to empowering women and girls around the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, The the research is uh, indisputable that when you do this, not only do the women uh, uh, become more productive, the communities that they live in, their families um, benefit greatly. And so we are uh, focusing a considerable amount of our efforts uh, on um, helping to uplift women and girls around the world, especially those who are um, in the, the poor, low and middle income countries.
0: Wow. That's amazing. So, uh, this is why you will be uh, tap dancing to work in the morning. That's yes, right. the one, exactly. One Buffett's, exactly. Buffett's line. Um, you are talking there about time away and people being, is that for both uh, women and men? So yes, it is. Okay. so. I want to apply for a job at the moment. <laughs> I just had my two kids, so I've missed my opportunity now. I you, I can really,
1: not, you can adopt. <laughs> I can adopt, yeah. <laughs> it, it works with adoption, too. I'm <laughs> not
0: sure my missus would say yes to that. No. But um, but that's amazing, because that's very much like Scandinavia. In Scandinavia, you know, uh, men uh, take more paternity, paternity time. They mm-hmm. see it almost as equal in the house, and so therefore yeah. more equal equality at, yeah. in the workplace as well.
1: So. Yeah, We'll have to wait and see what happens, but I, I know quite a few... Um, of my male colleagues are taking time off too, and I'm in, very encouraged by seeing that.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Really good stuff. Um, practically, um, uh, just a quick question uh, on this, Tony. Practically, I know, at least in the UK, a lot of organizations see diversity at the top, mm-hmm. at, at the top equals. Greater innovation, greater profitability, Mm -hmm. greater representation of their customer base—all of these. Mm -hmm. So it's it's ticked. It seems in the conscious mind, but Mm
1: -hmm. is it
0: about tackling it at the unconscious level Mm -hmm. of gender stereotypes Mm -hmm. that are that are way back there? Is it at that level? How can we tackle Mm -hmm. it at that level? Is that is that just a matter of uh, time that's going to solve that? You think?
1: I. I'm not, I'm not sure. Yeah. I, um, I'm hopeful that as we become a more um, diverse um, society, yeah. that um, um, some of those stereotypes will start to break away. Yeah. Um, but there are also things that are happening in our society, especially in this country right now, that um, make me pause mm. um, and say that there is m- so much more that needs to be done um, to bring these issues um, to the conscious level. Um, mm. There's been such a considerable amount of work done right here um, in uh, the Boston-Cambridge area by um, uh, Professor Benaggi, um, who at Harvard, who is one of the preeminent experts on um, unconscious bias and um, her work indicates that we all have biases, which means that we all have to come to um, our work, particularly the work that we do at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, with um, a certain set of cultural competencies um, that um, uh, may not necessarily, you may not necessarily be able to um, discern on the surface if someone um, that you're working with has those cultural mm-hmm. competencies. Um, so it's important to be able to help mm-hmm. people to um, see where their blind spots might be. That's actually the name of Dr. Bernaggi's book, The Blind Spot. Mm-hmm. Um, understand what those blind spots are and try to uh, tamp down some of the many stereotypes. Um, w- diversity diversity does and inclusion, I firmly believe, and the research bears this out. Um, allows for a greater innovation, that you cannot sure. have innovation without diversity mm-hmm. of thought, um, diversity of experiences. Um, uh, innovation is a team sport. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to have the, the, uh, a, a well, high-performing team and it's hard these days to innovate without having Um, diversity amongst um, in our midst and um, I I think it's it is um, important and for us to be very intentional uh, when we are thinking about diversity and inclusion around what does that look like what does that feel like um, what does good look like what are the outcomes and be able to um, measure and uh, what are the, um, the impact of potentially not having um, a diverse and inclusive environment? Um, yeah. The data is clear yeah. about this that's issue.
0: True. That's true. And so maybe where individuals have got unconscious bias, that's where organizations can come in and help through putting some structures in place to make sure that they overcome that. Exactly. Um, let's talk about um, leadership, if, mm-hmm. if we can. Um, Now, Tony, you are a remarkable leader, Uh, you've got a huge fan base, um, and you've been surrounded by remarkable leaders uh, in your lifetime as well. So in your essence, what do you think makes for great leadership?
1: Well, I think, and it's been my experience um, of looking at individuals who I would Um, think are great leaders as well as those who aren't so good leaders um, that it you have to serve others you have to be there um, to help others be the best that they can be Um, I've tried to do that in my my own um, way on a daily basis that If you can create that environment that allows people to be who they um, are in a very authentic way and to bring all of their gifts and talents to work every day not leaving a part of themselves in the parking garage or at home um, because the work we do is so important but bringing all of who they are all of their gifts and talents um, if you can allow for that type of an environment to take place where they are able to be be as productive as possible and be able to break out of certain boundaries and be boundarylessness as they are going through the day and tackling problems. I think that's what a good leader is supposed to do. A good leader is also supposed to run interference Uh, for their teams, for individuals. They're supposed to remove obstacles so that um, they can get the work done. Um, As well as being able to help people grow and uh, meet some of what their goals and expectations are for their own careers. Mm. Um, I've, that's what I try to do and that's what I've learned and taken from the good leaders um, that I've had the fortune of being around um, throughout my career.
0: Tony I would certainly want to follow you. That sounds uh, <laughs> sounds amazing because you said right at the beginning about um, learning from leaders that you admire and leaders that you don't think are so good. That's mm-hmm. exactly what Warren, Warren Buffett said as mm-hmm. well, is that look, make a list of the good attributes yes, and the list exactly. of them. Just don't do those ones. Yeah. Tony, I know you've got to go and get a catch a flight and um, I don't want you to miss it because I really do appreciate your, your time here. It's not very good. Um, so I've just got one other question for you and it came in from somebody who, who'd studied you back in our office and they said, My goodness, Tony's on boards. She's doing this. She's saving the world. She's you know, doing all these things um, how, from a sort of a personal time management mm-hmm. perspective. How do you do you have any tips for us as to how yeah. to get more stuff done and the right stuff?
1: Yeah, I'm still trying to get tips from other people, so maybe you can help me (laughs) Um, on that note. Well, one of the things I do is um, identify my priorities, um, how I want to spend my discretionary time. Um, And that has helped me make decisions about what what boards I want to participate on. And I've made some decisions about um, focusing in on education, uh, in higher institute, higher ed institutions, on health care, on cultural um, issues. I'm on the board of the Pacific Northwest Ballet in Seattle, um, also giving back uh, to the, in the communities that I live. Um, but I also think about um, being in harmony. And I sp- spoke a little bit about this at the Women's Leadership Panel last night, um, that it's important for me on a day-to-day basis to be in harmony now that might mean that um, i'm doing a lot of work um, in uh, at my job but also um, what can i do to get what i need and be energized once i go home and i'm fortunate to have um, a great partner my mother lives with me we i have three um, standard poodles who um, love me and when I come home, I get the best welcome um, that anyone can get. They do their little poodle dance. Um, but the the concept of harmony and staying in harmony um, is something that has been with me for um, quite a bit of time now. And I try to, to manage that on a day-to-day basis. And um, I can tell you my... Um, business partner, um, will be able to detect when I'm out of harmony. Mm-hmm. Um, usually when I have too many meetings, back to back to back in one day. Um, but more, more than anything, it's doing things that drive the passion in me. Yeah. Um, and that's what I do every day at the Bill mm-hmm. and Melinda Gates Foundation. Yeah. So that helps to keep me in harmony.
0: That's right, and that brings us all the way back to your advice for ph- philanthropists: find your why, as Simon Sinek yes. says, find your passion. Exactly, and everything else flows into, into place. Tony, on behalf of all of our viewers watching, uh, I really want to say thank you so well, much. Thank you so much, indeed, for your time Anthony. Today. It's a pleasure. So much,
1: Tony. Thank you. Yeah, thank you.
0: Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to our Leaders In podcast. For more insight and inspiration, visit leadersin.com or check out our social media channels.